This is Live from the Table, the official podcast of New York's world-famous comedy seller, coming at you on Sirius XM 99, Raw Comedy, formerly Raw Dog. A change, I believe, for the better. I think Raw Dog was a little bit vulgar. Uh, obviously, the connotation being sex without a condom. Um, in any case, uh, also available as a podcast, wherever you get your podcast, Dan Natterman here. With Noam Dwarman, owner of the ever-expanding Comedy Cellar, a new room, the uh, the Manny Dwarman Comedy Theater, uh, opening in hopefully early 95, uh, but you never know with New York City and... Not 95. I mean, sorry, did I say 95? <laughs> I meant 25. Um, what the hell was if, that? If Biden had said that, it'd be front page <laughs> news. <laughs> um, anyway, um, yeah, so, but you never know with this city with paperwork and construction permits and so forth, but we're hopeful that it opens in, uh, in 25, in early 25. It's shocking that, that it's, <laughs> that it's 2025. It'll, it will be 2025. And right? I remember 1995. Yeah, well. My, my kids are going to be alive in, uh, 2100. You think? Yeah. I think, yeah. If, if, unless something terrible happens to them, why wouldn't they be? Well, 75, yeah, that likely will be, likely will be. Yeah, 85 is the age now. Yeah, 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 Imagine yeah. what it would be then. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, likely. Um, anyway, uh, and who knows, maybe by, by 2100 they'll be able to ex- extend you even further. So anybody that lives long enough. I'm presuming there's going to be some uh, additions to life expectancy I, 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 by then. I, I predict I won't likely be around in absent of you know, a medical miracle around to see 2100. But I don't anticipate spectacular gains. Like, I don't think people are going to be living till 130 or 140. I think, but I, I certainly think we'll see a lot more people living till 100 in good health. And and that being a centenarian <clears throat> won't be great. Won't be, like being a cent. Now you meet somebody who's 100, and especially if they're coherent, it's pretty big deal. All right. Seven, 75 years ago was 1950. If you extrapolate that level of uh, um, <clears throat> medical and technological advance over the next seventy-five years, uh, what medical advances? What would was nineteen fifty before they even discovered the double helix? Yeah, but how has that helped? They, I mean, I don't know. But how is it? I double mean, they're on, they're on the threshold now of of uh, oh, they, yeah. custom medicine. Why why would you bet against the notion? That they will learn how to make cell reproduction either uh, le- le- have less degradation from generation to generation, or just well, I, per- I'm, perfect I'm only, reproduction, or, I'm or only, even or even go backwards. I'm only look. I they might, and once they can solve aging, I guess everything else. Why falls are you such a place. negative Nelly? I just because you know they've <laughs> been throwing how many trillions of dollars have been throwing at cancer, and if you're stage trillions? four, I don't know. It's probably trillions by now. Okay. And if you're stage four, I mean, yes, they can catch it earlier, and that's great, and and that's a big thing. But if you're stage four, if it's metastasized, I don't know that there's much they could do for you today that they couldn't do for you in 1950. Once it's stage four, no. But what about stage one, two, and three? And zero. Cancer also comes in stage zero. Stage zero? zero? Mm -hmm. That's weird. So what are we all? Negative one? I don't know. We well, I think I think I think even even forty years ago, if you were stage one or two, they could probably cure you. I mean, I've known no people. There there are a number of curable cancers now: blood cancers, uh, um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, something like that. I don't know. There's they made they made they made big strides. Um, Heart disease, they you know, with blood pressure meds and statins, I think they've done some good work. Stents. 
and uh, uh, you know, bypasses and and amputees, people with who need. Um, well, but that's not a longevity thing. No, it's but a medical advance, but it's not a longevity advancement. And diabetes, not Parkinson's, not so. Parkinson's much. and ALS, they're still flailing about. Oh God! You know, we did <laughs> that ice bucket challenge didn't seem to help. Um, <laughs> Listen. I, I, we got a really funny comment on our YouTube from um, the Dr. Hara episode that I want. I'll read that. Read. Then I'll read the letter from the from the woman who complained about the commie seller. Okay, good. That's a good yeah. good way to. Uh... Nothing personal. She seems like a nice person, but it's insane to me that people can be intelligent enough to study medicine at Harvard and also believe this garbage. Interesting point. That's what you wanted to read. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. And Noam, you have a. Uh, it's gonna take me a little. While. It's gonna take a little while to find it. So, well, what do you think about that? Because I, um, I have gone about repeating, telling everybody not to worry because it's not going to be Trump or Biden who are running for president. And when they say, "How do you know?" I said, "Well, we spoke to a psychic." Yeah, but for and- some reason, she didn't like the word psychic. She was like, you know, I, I think she she pushed back on the on the label psychic, uh, even though. She was predicting the future, but it was based on um, what I guess she regards as more scientific oh. grounds of numerology. Okay, well, whatever it was, and I was, whatever, however, you know, whatever the word is. But then when I said that, people didn't seem to take it very seriously. When I was like, don't worry. Well, did you mean it or were you kidding around? No, I was being dead serious. Oh, well. I. Be- <laughs> No, you weren't. Yes, I was. I totally believe in that stuff. Okay. In what stuff? I said that I had a conversation with a couple of people about the upcoming election. I said, don't worry, it's not going to be Biden or Trump. And by the way, even if you believe in numerology, she might not be, you know, a numerologist, the best numerologist. I mean, I believe in brain surgery but you know that doesn't mean i'm gonna go, go gonna go to any brain surgeon i think she's i think she's pretty good i think she well, how can you make that uh, determination I, I mean she has you know reputation of um oh all right i guess she does have a reputation you uh, can't believe that stuff that's so i somebody was really upset they were saying you know kind of like what ricky was saying like i can't believe we have to pick between biden and trump and i said don't worry you don't have to that's oh, not I, I see that's not going to be and they said well how do you know that and i said well i spoke to a psychic well by the way well gnome is looking for his um Completely for the email i might me. give up on this i might have to call liz <laughs> um go ahead no I, I i i'm not ignoring you i'm just uh, no he i know oh. you're not here um did did anybody see the We Are the World Netflix making of documentary? No. All right. Um, apparently, Paul Simon said, "No." What do you think of this? I'm listening. What? Paul Simon apparently said it. We are the world. They said, "Oh, if a you know a bomb drops on this building, John Denver's back." You know, on the top of the. No, I heard, I heard Paul McCartney said that. No, not Paul McCartney. He what? Paul McCartney wasn't at We Are the World. Oh, the why did somebody tell me Paul McCartney said that? You're right. He wasn't. At, you're right. You're right about that. But somebody told me. No, it was Paul somebody, Simon. Somebody told me they got got this, this story wrong. Yeah, but go ahead. isn't that sort of an asshole thing to say? Well, it wasn't supposed to be repeated. I know, but even that, well, right. But you're you're just saying it to all of like you know, um, all the, the you're like in the con- like I would never say that about a you know. In a in a group of comedians, I would never say, "Oh, if this building got bombed, then such and such comedian will be Eric the top." Eric Kornfeld's com- back on top again. Well, I wouldn't. Wh- whoever it would be, 
Eric, where'd you pick that name? <laughs> I don't know why that name. I haven't heard, I heard that name, and I mean, <laughs> he doesn't even, I don't even think he's in the city anymore, but. Um, he was a good comic, actually. John, Listen, I like John Denver. Yeah, John Denver's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm calling Liz to get that there. Okay. Um, I like you fill up my son. Yeah, that's was that um Annie song. Annie song. That's yeah. a that's a first that's a first rate melody. All right, whatever. So go ahead. And and you and and by the way, uh, Rocky Mountain, not Rocky Mountain High. Uh, that's good too. But uh, Country Roads, you got you guys sing that every an excellent week. song. I mean, and leaving on a jet plane. Yeah, these are good tunes. So. Um, he's uh, thank God I'm a country boy. Um, I don't like that one as much, but you know, I, I not that it's without merit. It's just my personal taste. But um, in any case, that seemed like an un... Do you have that review from the woman who complained we ruined her chance to get pregnant? You read that on here. No, I didn't read it. I read it to you off uh, the altar. You did? I think I read it to you in the altar. I didn't read it on, I didn't read it on the air. I meant to. What, what is your thought on We Are the World as a Melody? Listen, I am not a snob about things. I... <clears throat> can only tell you that when the song came out, I was in high school. Like what were you? Eighty five. So 80, you're in college. No, I, was, I think eighty five. So I was in college, and um, for, I guess a freshman, freshman in college, and uh, I thought it was great. I I was totally enchanted by seeing all those famous people singing. I loved the way, um, and this is really speaking from memory of that time. I loved the way. They had each performer do their kind of signature turn on the melody. I remember the guy from just was it Steve Perry from yeah, Journey yeah. did that uh, like like that that, that right. I, I didn't pull it off just there, but that kind of vocal thing and uh, Cindy Lauper did that wow 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 and uh, Ray Charles did, it, was, it was Springsteen it was all Bob Dylan even they were all like and is it I mean I didn't see the recent documentary but at the time there was like a making of I think it was t- had a show like Stevie Wonder trying to get Bob Dylan to sing more like Bob Dylan. Did they show mm-hmm. that in this documentary? Yeah, they showed like Bob didn't know how to do it and Stevie yeah. apparently imitated yeah, Bob. Yeah. They don't have the imitation. I don't think I don't think that was in there, but I would have remembered that. But but they said he imitated Bob Dylan and sang trying to tell Bob Dylan, oh, sing it this way and then You're doing me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stevie imitated Bob so, Dylan. And the and um the melody is, of course, the melody is good. How, how can anybody say that melody is not good? It's everybody. You heard it one time and you could sing it. It was it was designed to be an anthemic melody, like a, like a very like um, it's a world of love. Is it? It's a small world, like a, yeah. that kind of like very very simple but um, catchy melody. It succeeded on that level. The bridge we go da 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 da. Um, that that's all right, you know. It kind of goes by quick. I was, What's the bridge again? Oh, again. Yeah, um, just that that particular uh, harmonic turn is a little a little bit cliche, right? But uh, it was kind of the which same. harmonic turn? What do you mean? But I don't have a guitar, but like just just to go to there to for the song to go there was, to the bridge. That was my yeah. That was my least favorite okay. part of the song. I think there's a there's a part of. Um, the Sting song, Every Breath You Take, that actually go, has kind of does something similar. I don't remember. Anyway, but... Um, yeah, since you're gone, I've been lost without a yeah, trace. It's, it's, so you're saying that's similar to... A little bit similar, you know, yeah. in a kind of a kind of approach. But it's, 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 it's a valid thing. That's just never been my favorite type of thing. So it's like, they, it's, a, it's a contrast, and it's, a, it's like a, it's a very effective contrast. 
Oh, Liz just sent it to me. So, but I, I don't like, I don't like the, um, the people who shit on We Are The World because it was exactly what it wanted to be and it was very, we all loved it. And the same way, you know, I'm just not a snob. Okay. So we got, we got a letter here. And then I guess we, um, is this the right one? I'm just going to read this, but if it, Okay, so this was a woman complaining about um, bad attitude by our staff. Now, I'm not happy to read this, and I'm presuming that uh, somebody on the staff did have a bad attitude, but believe me, that's been taken care of. Apparel, you want to, um, listening? Well, you put up, she she fell asleep. There's a QR code now at the front of the club that says, if you have any comments or complaints, you can literally- Get straight to a manager. Go straight to a manager and, and chat. Yeah. Wait a second. Uh, and who's the manager, Liz? Liz, as soon as I answer it. Can I, can, I, can I read this? I want to know what happened to why you're assuming that the staff person had a bad attitude. Because the customer says so. Why would they say so if it wasn't true? But they might. Okay. Go really, ahead. why would they? Anyway. Well, you can interpret well, things it sounds differently. Like, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Read the I mean, you, you could, but, what, but as a boss, why would I want to, for a minute, assume... When a customer complains, oh, listen, your, your, your guy had an attitude with me. Yeah. Um, now, it's true. The customer might have had an attitude, too. But, but it generally, generally, if you're nice to people, it's not, it's not... I mean, is that what you would assume if somebody told you that I had an attitude? You would just assume that I had the attitude? Yes. What if it was Ryan Hamilton? <laughs> if somebody said Ryan Hamilton had an attitude, you would probably be a little more... Uh, uh, this is know, the thing. One time... Skeptical. One time... Somebody said that a particular door guy who's worked for me, who I always saw nice, he was always just like almost superhuman nice, told me that this guy cursed at him and had a terrible attitude. And I wrote the customer, I said, well, this can't be true. I've known this guy for all these years. He's always, uh, uh, it's true, the customer said, that's all right. So I went and, you know, they, they wear body cameras. I went and checked the body camera. This guy was cursing and nasty customer. <laughs> like, 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 I couldn't, I said, what the fuck? I can't believe this is. Well, the this. body cameras are relatively new, right? So it's a recent. A few years, yeah. Okay. Like getting them to wear them is a whole thing. Anyway, Liz, uh, the, seating, the seating staff all had sour looks on their faces and were not friendly. Once we were seated in a very cramped space, we know that's true, we realized, or can be true, we realized there was a total, totally empty booth next to us where no one was going to be seated and everyone around us said it would be better for my husband to sit there so they would have more room. Then for 10 minutes, the seaters came by over and over suggesting my husband's sitting position was unfair to people around him and that he should sit in the chair. Now at this point, it sounds like the customer is being difficult. So he's like sprawling out. Uh, sit in the chair, which would have caused discomfort to the very large man who was sitting behind him and to a very large woman who had been seated next to him. The service didn't ask the folks next to us, instead singling my husband out and harassing him. They did not offer us a nice other spot to sit to free up space. Instead, only once someone said with a nasty tone, well, we could put you somewhere else, which in context with the nasty behavior didn't sound like a nice offer to anyone. It wasn't, oh, hey, you know, how about we give you that awesome seat over there and then we can let all these people have more space. That would have been much more productive. Okay, now here's where it gets uh, um, odd. 
Oh, this no, you know the uh, the guest just. Oh, real quick. This ruined my date with my husband, and frankly, might impact our ability to grow our family because the experience is so dreadful that we were missing a cycle to try for a baby this month. <laughs> The intent was to go out and have some laughs and to take the tension off our week, and the absolute opposite happened. The fact that only one comedian was funny meant that our overriding experience was the issue with the servers because we never had that experience that we usually do of losing ourselves in the hilarious comedy. So we just had this nasty experience overall. And the consequences, to me, personally, of not being able to have a nice date night are pretty significant since we are older, we're an older couple, and I don't have that many months left of any fertility. Yeah, well, that's odd, all right. Um, yeah, it's crazy, <laughs> you know. So, having said that, now I might take this. Like, with that at that point, uh, you know, you're dealing with a crazy person. Maybe, maybe. Okay. I mean, anyway, we're gonna circle back to that. Okay. Hi. Hey. Hello. We have. Uh, let me just give you a brief intro. Uh, Khaled Hassan, Egyptian British counterterrorism researcher. Uh, his research interests include propaganda, anti-Semitism in the Arab world, terrorism and extremism. Welcome all the way from London via the miracle of teleconferencing. Uh, Khaled Hassan, how are you tonight? Not too bad, thanks. I how think it you? might be the morning where you are, isn't it? It's, no, it's, I guess, midnight or so there. <laughs> yes, it is. It's almost, it's 11 p.m., yes. Okay. Um, anyway, welcome uh, to our show. I'm Dan. This is Noam, the owner of the Comedy Cellar. This is Periel. Hi. Max can't shift the cameras. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's Periel. To me. All right. So, so hi. So, sir, you're, you're uh, Periel brought, uh, uh, saw you on Twitter, and she um, was fascinated because... Uh, as opposed to the many Jewish people we've had on who are uh, seem to be uh, very uh, anti-Israel, you are an Arabic person who is, I don't want to say you're anti-Palestinian, but uh, not sympathetic to at least Hamas in this in this cause. Or I'm not sure I'm not sure completely what what your politics are, but uh, what, what, give us an overview of, of where you're coming from on this issue. Yes, yes. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Uh, so I'm Egyptian, and uh, I was born in 1990 in Cairo. Uh, like most Egyptians, I grew up in a Muslim uh, family. I grew up uh, pretty much hating Israel. Uh, pretty much, you know, the usual, uh, the usual, the usual, the usual, you know, anti-Semitism. You know, not you know, not too different from um, from you know most people. Uh, and that was basically that was basically my background until I started to learn more about Judaism. I started to learn more about essentially the world around me. I grew up in a very secular environment in a way because my family was not really uh, that religious. Uh, and they sent me to an American school. And I think this is really what changed my life. I went to an American school. It was, you know, very uh, open-minded, very secular. And we had, you know, it was a mixed school. So we had, you know, boys and girls. Uh, and over time, my interest in Judaism grew and my interest in the region grew. And I started to actually learn about the history of the Middle East and learn about Judaism and learn about Islam from other sources, other than what I was actually offered in my, my immediate community, if you will. Uh, and that ended up with me converting to Judaism uh, over many years. Uh, and this is, this is where I am now. Oh, I didn't realize you converted to Judaism. So, okay, this, this is this is a fascinating story. Um, can you tell us 
what are some of the the main misconceptions or myths that um, a, a boy being raised in Egypt or elsewhere in the Arab world would have about Israel, specific and Jews, which is which are the most untrue. Number one, there is this suspicion of Jews. There is this deeply rooted suspicion that you know a Jew is someone who's inherently evil in a very unhuman way. You know, it's 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 almost like this. There is this kind of alien, somebody who's you know who's just really genetically evil. Somebody who's even if they talk to you nicely, even if they're being nice to you, even if they're interacting with you in a friendly way that is part of a larger scheme of evil. It's to lure you over, you know, it's, it's, it's to control your mind, it's to do all these things, to brainwash you. Uh, and I think this, this, uh, this specific aspect of, of Arab and Muslim anti-Semitism, to be honest, is, is horrifically deeply rooted because it's, it's in religious texts, it's in culture, it's in history, and you're being taught this. And to question this, means that you actually, you're pretty much going against the convictions of your own people. So you're going to find that even if you question this, or even if you say, what's this based on, you're going to find that you are immediately accused of treason, being a Mossad agent, being in you know, all sorts of these, this mad stuff. Uh, and you find that inevitably, you're not safe anymore, essentially. So I have I've a very close friend, uh, his name is Hatem. He's Egyptian and Kuwaiti. We do another podcast together. And he insists to me that this notion that the Quran um, teaches uh, Muslim people to be uh, against the Jews or to be skeptical of the Jews is is not true. But you, you disagree with him on that? I fundamentally disagree. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you what I think as... as as a Jewish person now, mm-hmm. I know that there are texts in the Tanakh, there are texts in you know the Hebrew Bible, uh, there are texts in in what Christians would call the New Testament. You know, there are texts in almost every religion that are somewhat rejected by the majority of people now, or not even if not even rejected, but sort of not acted on. Like people don't act upon these texts now uh, because it's twenty twenty four. You know, it's you know we have laws, we have rules uh, in Islam. It's completely different. If you question one word of the Quran, especially the Quran, I'm not talking about other texts, you know, which are less, uh, the Quran is seen as the word of God. So if you question the word of God, you are immediately somebody who is a disbeliever, somebody who is who's shunned, somebody who's, like I said, immediately just pushed out of the society, immediately attacked. Uh, and this is why it's really quite difficult. But to go to your question, I think... There is another aspect to this that I find really difficult, which is, again, most Muslims saying one thing in private. So he would say this to you because you're not a Muslim. You're not, you know, you're not somebody who comes from a Muslim background. Uh, But if he says this to me, he knows that the argument is going to be completely different. He knows that I will present the evidence because I speak Arabic and I will show from the Quran what the Quran says about Jews. For instance, there is a verse of the Quran that says that basically uses the words ashadda adawa which basically means no one will be more hostile to you uh, basically no one will be a worse enemy to muslims than jews and it mentions jews uh, 
so there's absolutely there's absolutely nothing that can be done about this uh and i think it's 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 just well, and I think it's just very obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe sometime in the future. I mean, he's he's a good friend of mine, and I I don't I I I know the the phenomenon that you're talking about of, of saying one thing within the community and one thing without. And actually, Hatem has has told me the same thing about other matters. For instance, when a leader says one thing about Israel uh, to his own people, another thing uh, to to the international world. But on this on this particular issue, I I. I, I don't think he's doing that. So maybe sometime in the future I could get you guys uh, on another conversation and you can have it off. So, um, so all right, so that's the first thing is you're taught that Jews are evil. And, and then what about Israel? What are, you, what, what are you taught about Israel's intentions? Yes, I'm really sorry I just had to move because it's, <laughs> it's quite... That's late. okay, that's just, okay. Uh, I'm, very, I'm a very loud person generally. <laughs> that's yes. okay. You, you have, uh, you have so children Israel, there? It's... Uh, yeah, Israel. Israel. It's it's Israel is part of the conversation, obviously, because Israel. We had many wars with Israel, mm-hmm. as Egypt, as as Arabs. We had many more wars with Israel. And I'll mention one thing that I, I was just talking about recently. So I grew up, and we had films basically that would show you how evil Jews are, how evil Israelis are. And we had one uh, specific film that I remember, where a young Egyptian man goes to Sinai with his family on holiday. And because a lot of Israeli tourists go to Sinai, he ends up meeting this Israeli young woman and he falls in love. Uh, and, and the film, basically, the whole story goes that this is a plan. It's a larger scheme. It's a greater scheme by Israelis to send Israeli women to Sinai to basically seduce and lure those young Egyptian men, have sex with them and do all that stuff and essentially take them and brainwash them and then convert them to Judaism, uh, which is, which is, which is, I don't think there's anything that could be farther from the truth. That's not what happened to you. Converting <laughs> <Judaism>. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and converting to Judaism itself is a concept. I think this is actually quite, it's a great example also of projection because Muslims want to convert others to Islam. This has been happening since, this is how Islam spread. Mm-hmm. So they see this and they think, right, this is what Jews want to do. And you always see this, the word Judification used, you know, that Jews are trying to essentially turn the entire planet into, into Jewish lands. Uh, but again, this is what Islam did. This is how Islam conquered Egypt in around the 625 uh, common era. That's what happened to Egypt. Egypt was not Muslim. So this is what you see. And I grew up with this, with these concepts. Now, there was even actually something that was even more horrible, far more horrible than this. And I was always told by, I remember actually my mom telling me this and some of my own immediate family members that Israelis inject young Israeli women with HIV and send them to Sinai to have sex with young Egyptian men. And that's why I would always get the warning that if you go somewhere and you meet a young, you know, a good looking uh, young, young woman, an Israeli young woman, in Sinai, don't even talk to them. Don't even interact with them whatsoever. Uh, and again, it's silly, but these are the kind of stories, these are the kind of conceptions, and these are the kinds of conspiracy theories that I and my generation grew up with. So I, I want to be careful how I proceed here, because if I imagine the mirror image of, um, if I saw a Jewish guy being interviewed who had converted to Islam and then was bad-mouthing Israel, I know I would uh, 
you know, I would find that jarring. And then if the person interviewing them um, kind of was went easy on them, it would it, w- it would disturb me. Um, and somehow, I th- I believe it's even much more jarring because that doesn't happen very often for for Arabic people to see you um, going to going to the other side. So. Um, so let me just ask. So, so every question I want to ask you is respectfully, but I want, but I want to do my my duty as a as a probing questioner. So, you, you, all those myths about Judaism um, and Israel, you determined were untrue, but this is not a reason to convert to Judaism to, to reject your own people and culture. It might just be a reason to see the truth and to reform or, or I mean, there are many Muslim people around the world who, who don't, who are not raised. I don't think on that kind of uh, brand of Islam. So what, what made you reject Islam? I think it's a very interesting question. And I completely agree. You should do your job and you should challenge me. You know, it's, that's how it's, the conversation is interesting. Otherwise it's boring and it's pointless. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I think, so there are a few things that we need to actually unpack here. Number one, when we talk about me as an Arab, I don't believe that I'm Arab. I believe that this is part of the colonization that has happened at the hands of Arabs. Egypt, before, before the conquest of Arabs, and again, around the year 625, uh, actually, apologies, the year 640, uh, Egypt was not Arab. We did not speak Arabic. We did not, we were, you know, we were Christians. We were, we were a very, we were a completely different society. We were an open society, you know, our women, we're queens. I mean, you know, you will, you will see this in Egyptian history, ancient Egyptian history. And then this happened, and over the years, hundreds and hundreds of years, we began to actually adopt this, this the colonizer's identity. We began to say we're Arabs. And then you, you see it in the year, oddly, it, over the years, over decades and centuries, we were still identifying as Egyptian. Even officially, our passport said Egyptian. You know, it said Egypt. This is the Egyptian kingdom. Can I can uh, I just stop you there Egypt for a second? Right. I just because interesting. I, I, you know, my my whole life I, I've been around Arabic people, and I can I haven't heard in a long time. But when I was younger, I would hear Egyptian people tell me, "No, no, I'm not Arab. I'm Egyptian." And I never, yes. I, I never, yes. they'd speak Arabic, and but there was it was it, the Egyptian people I knew would separate themselves in some way. I never really understood how, but they, exactly what you're saying. It's not. It's not a fringe position. It was a common thing that I heard from Egyptian people. So continue. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, it's now. It's now a bit of a. A lot of people now would say that I'm a bit of a radical because they see these views and they feel like, oh, you're rejecting our Arab identity. You're just a bit of a maniac. You know, you're a radical. Uh, but until the year 1952, when Nasser took over, we did not say. You know, Egypt was not called the Arab Republic of Egypt as it is now, it was called the Kingdom of Egypt and Sudan. And when he took over, he completely changed this. Uh, and now you have movements actually in Egypt. Uh, unfortunately, they're horrifically anti-Semitic still because they have this nationalist identity and they tend to still uh, glorify Hitler, glorify Nazism as, as, you know, they see Nazism as a nationalist movement as well. And that's another challenge. Uh, but there are growing movements that say, we're Egyptian, we're not Arab. Now, to come to your question, I think that for someone like me who goes through a process where you're questioning everything that you were taught, you're questioning everything that people around you really believe in, and you come to a point where you realize 
this is just not who I am. I do not fit in this society. This is not just who I am. This is not why I converted to Judaism, by the way. My conversion to Judaism is completely different. But I'm talking about this distancing myself from the society around me. I distanced myself from this society because it's just the values of this society do not align with my values. For instance, on I have a daughter now. I am delighted. I am proud. I'm thrilled. Mazel tov. Every day when I wake up, and <laughs> I realize my daughter did not. <laughs> my daughter will not grow up in Egypt. You know, she's not going to experience the sexism that I have seen my own cousins, for instance, experience in Egypt. And that's part of my identity as well. And this is why I distanced myself from this uh, society. Now, to go to Judaism, I think Judaism is the most fascinating intellectual debate that has been ongoing for thousands and thousands of years. And for me, this is the main point that makes me feel like Judaism is who I am. You know, this is this is this is this is an this is a nation that I want to belong to. Uh, there are definitely other reasons, religious reasons. I believe in God. I'm not very religious, but I do believe in God. And I like the way and I really appreciate the way Judaism looks at God. You know, it's not it's, it's, it's not as strict as it is in Islam. It's not unquestioning as it is in Islam. Now, you, you must uh, hear Jewish people who don't know your background say bigoted things about Arabic people or, or Muslim people from time to time, no? That's true, yes, that's true. Uh, how, how do you react to that? What do you, how do you handle that? It, it would be dishonest to say that this never happens. I have seen, I mean, I have seen, there was, for instance, actually an American Jewish guy not long ago. Uh, I was posting about Hamas, criticizing Hamas on Twitter, and he commented and said to me, well, you need to talk to your people, Hamas, and tell them to stop this. And he was talking to me as if I was 100% Hamas supporter just because of my name, because he saw this Arab name and he decided, you know what? Here we go. Here is another terrorist. You know, mm-hmm. and it was, it was, and I mean, I didn't actually, what was fascinating is how many Jewish people who know me, how many people on Twitter who know that I'm Jewish, how many people who know my position defended me how they went on the offensive against this guy and they just said to him hold on a moment you're being a racist here and i think this is this is the distinction that we have to make every society has racists i actually believe that it's anti-semitic to say that israelis or jews generally should be 100 percent amazing that's that's anti-semitic because they're human you know to suggest that they are not human or you know somehow saintly is in my view quite you know a different form of discrimination uh, but the difference is, in Israel, in Jewish society, Jewish, Jewish communities generally, in the diaspora, it remains the exception, not the norm. So you're going to have a few bad apples, basically. And there's not much we can do about this. We, we do our best to, you know, to counter this, but they still do exist. And I still get some of these comments. You know, every once in a while, I'd get a silly comment, and I, I would either ignore it, respond to it, and highlight how stupid and bigoted it is, or somebody else would do it on my behalf, basically. Yeah, I, I feel. You know, I, I'll say one more thing. There. I, I feel shamed when I hear uh, Jewish people say stuff like that. By the way, it's an interesting point that you make that, um, in some way, holding Israel up to this higher standard is kind of setting them up for failure, and 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 is a, it and it is a way to like um, to sneak in anti-Semitism. But I I feel shamed when I hear Jewish people speak in a, in a bigoted way. And um, 
and and you're exactly right. It 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 it's ridiculous to think otherwise. And and then I, I try not to be unfairly judgmental of my own people. And I have to remember that there is a war, not not just the current conflict, but for many many years of people dying. And it's and there is a human inevitability of of peoples who are having their own people die at the hands of another people. And this goes on both sides. Um, to to develop hatred and and bigotry and to speak in a in a in a in a horrible way. I'll only add one thing to it, and then you can comment on it, and then I'll let Dan in. Um, I made this point a couple of weeks ago. I believe this to be true, but you can tell me if you don't. One um, sloppy kind of thinking that I think uh, happens is that people assume a mirror image in this conflict, and what I what I've said, and you've kind of uh, backed it up a little bit already, is that the difference is that Arabic people are raised on a diet of anti-Jewishness. It, it's a fundamental aspect of their culture to have an attitude about the Jews. Jewish people, we have no attitude about the Arab world except as it relates to the conflict that we've had with the Arab world. There's no cultural, religious... Uh, there's nothing ab- ab- about the, the the Arabic world which we are raised on a diet of, as I said, except for the fact that there's this conflict. But if that conflict were to end, then the Jews would have, then the, the Arabs become like Chinese to us. It's like, it's just another people. We have no particular beef with them. But the opposite is not true. Even if the conflict is to end, the, the, the uh, cultural attitude about the Jews will probably never go away. I don't know how you... Yes, I completely agree. And I always make this argument, and I find it really frustrating how some people dismiss what I say sometimes, in the West especially, and they say, well, you know, you're Jewish, you know, you you, you chose Judaism, you know, and this, this is why you're biased, this is why your views, you know, are not exactly, you know, objective. Uh, and I think to say this, it's, I mean, my dad was... A German teacher, so he so he taught German basically. He taught German. He was an Egyptian, a Muslim guy, very moderate. Never actually voted. He only voted once in his life uh, in Egypt, by the way. So he always used to say that he hates politics in all shapes and forms. You know, it's it, he was completely. Uh, he really never had any strong opinions. Basically, that's what I'm saying. Nevertheless, he had. Uh, so he owned a Fiat, but he still had. Um, keychain like a key thingy basically for the car that was a vw and they said why do you have a vw if you are you know you have a fiat you know you don't own a vw and i said because this is hitler's car and hitler burned the jews and that's why i love hitler and that's why i love this car and i'm hoping that i'll buy one quite soon it's really it's it's so difficult to explain how deeply rooted it is the glorification of nazism i've actually investigated this on both an academic, uh, on an academic capacity and also on a, on, on a personal capacity. I've seen it in Egypt. I've seen it everywhere. I've seen it in the films. I mean, imagine if I told you that Robert De Niro or you know, Al Pacino played this role where he was glorifying Hitler, like in a very, one of the most popular films in, in, in the history of the US, you know, it, it would blow your mind. Uh, but this is exactly what we have in Egypt. It's everywhere. It's it's wherever you look, you're going to find it. You're often going to find that there is always an element of anti-Semitism. During Ramadan, 
the, the, the Muslim holy month of Ramadan where everyone is fasting, you get a lot of shows. It's basically like it's the season for TV series in Egypt. And you're always going to get an element or a TV show that includes Jews somehow, and it's horrifically anti-Semitic, and it's completely accepted. Nobody even questions it. To question it means that you are a, a traitor, and that's the challenge. This is how bad it is. And, and yet, when they come, when Arabic people come to America, they get along very nicely with Jews. I have to say, in my in my experience, I think it really depends, to be honest, because I have. So, for instance, I've, I've mentioned again two examples on Twitter. I went. To, to the hospital with my daughter to, to for an appointment. And it was really quite a difficult time for us because it was, you know, quite a serious medical condition. And I sat next to a Syrian guy. He's, he's a Syrian refugee. So I thought, you know, I really feel like I miss home. You know, I haven't been back home in like eight years. So I want to talk to somebody, you know, somebody who speaks Arabic. You know, I want to speak Arabic and I want to feel like, you know, there's this sense of home. Let's talk about TV. Talk about something, you know, that I love just to make me, you know, cheer me up a little. And then he goes on about COVID and he goes on about how COVID is a Jewish conspiracy and how, about, <laughs> how, how COVID is, you know, and it was horrific. So I think it really varies. In my own experience, I have seen that most, most of my interactions with Arabs in the UK and across Europe has been not a positive one, to be honest. I haven't been, I haven't, I haven't dealt with anyone in America, American Arabs, but I can also see that you see a lot of anti-Semitism for the Arab American community, and you can see it online, but I haven't experienced it in person. Now, in in line with us doing our due diligence, uh, we don't speak Arabic, obviously, but we know people who do. Is there any way we can see some of these films you're talking about, or or, or books, or some way to verify that indeed there are films and books and 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 TV shows, um, you know, that say I, these things about Jews? I actually really like this question because I was just thinking about this because I thought it would be a wonderful educational experience for people in the West generally to see this, to see a film from beginning to end, to see the whole story, to see how a Jew is portrayed. Uh, but there are big, massive works that have been examined by Western scholars and have been translated to show how this is you know, very deeply rooted. Like there is a show uh, called uh, Faris Bilagawad, and this one was made by a very well-known actor. Again, you know, kind of the Al Pacino of, of, of Egypt in a way, Muhammad Subhi, that's his name. And it was essentially a conspiracy theory. It was all, in a way, about the protocols of the elders of Zion. Uh, and there is a lot of writings, academic writings, about this uh, specific TV show. And I personally, I often translate, I get... Uh, I do. I, I try to spend as much time as I can doing this. Actually, I would find a clip in a film, and I would show basically what kind of story it tells, and I would translate it and post it on on uh, on social media. Uh, but I think this is a good project. We do need to see this. We do need to see how how deeply rooted it is. And also another thing I did not long ago, I posted um, basically a screenshot of all of the shops that were called Hitler. In Egypt, so you would go, you know, you would go to a shop to buy, you know, I don't know, shoes, you know, a pair of shoes or whatever, and the shop is called Hitler. I've I've posted this to show you how to show people how normal it is, how part of the culture it's you know it's completely normal to accept this, uh, it's completely normal to give shops like this the license to operate. 
although a lot of them do not really have a license because they operate, you know, in an informal kind of way. Uh, but that's you, you see this, and I think a lot of organizations, Memory, for instance, I'm not sure if you know Memory. Yeah. yeah. Memory translates a lot of yeah translates a lot of stuff from Arabic, even even you know religious sermons, and that's a completely different topic. <laughs> Uh, but they do that a lot, and I think it's very helpful. Are the translations accurate? Yes, yes. Yeah. Memory especially is actually very good. Uh, I've noticed that some people sometimes do not really get you know, a word or two. Mm -hmm. uh, not memory, but like other people who try to do this. Uh, but generally, yes, the message is, you know, it's accurate. Like the whole message is not, you know, is not inaccurate at all. All right. Now, now uh, so you're Jewish, but that doesn't mean you have to support Israel's policies even many Israeli Jews don't support Israel's policies. When you see the terrible uh, pictures of children dying, um, number one, uh, do you do you feel the kinship of blood with with these people as, as your people when you see them dying, and how does that make you feel? And number two, do you support generally the the, the military campaign that Israel is undertaking? I 100%, I want to start by the, the last question. I 100% support the IDF and the military campaign. It's, it's, <laughs> so I always say this, it's when, when Egypt was involved uh, and waging its war in terror after the Muslim Brotherhood took over in Egypt around the year 2013, and you know we had a wave of terror that basically uh, lasted for about eight years actually, or about six years. Uh, it was horrific, and Egypt acted uh, in a way that was actually not very different from Israel. So they went to the Sinai, you know, the military went to the Sinai, and they had to have a buffer zone, mm -hmm. which was basically a zone that was cleared between Gaza and Egypt. So they had to demolish buildings, they had to demolish houses. They told people, you need to leave these houses because we're going to demolish these houses because if we don't, it's too close to the border, and that means that they can be used uh, by smugglers basically or Hamas to build tunnels and use these houses as you know as, as basically shelter for them and they had to have this buffer zone and I supported Egypt 100% I don't see a reason why I would not support Israel which had just been a victim of a horrific attack that is the scale of which is unknown in the Middle East I don't know any other country that has experienced a terrorist attack where you had 1200 people or more killed barbarically, and babies taken hostage. I have never seen this anywhere else. So of course I support this. I don't see one reason. In fact, I believe, as an Egyptian, it makes sense to support Israel because I have seen my own people killed by terrorists, again, Hamas, and they were actually involved in the, in the terrorist attacks in Sinai. And now they're involved in the terrorist attacks against Israel. It's the same enemy. I don't see, I don't see why I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And and what about how you feel? Do you, do you do you feel do you still feel the connection as your people when you see the 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 Palestinians uh, dying, or is that is that emotional tie broken for you? It was actually broken even before I finalized my conversion officially, even before I began my conversion officially, because I always had a lot of disagreements with Palestinians. For instance, Yasser Arafat made a comment. Uh, and we, you will find that a lot of Palestinian leaders made comments after President Sadat was assassinated. They made comments that he was a traitor. They made comments that the fact that he signed the peace treaty with Israel, uh, that makes him a traitor. So 
President Sadat for me is somebody that I really admire, President Sadat and Began, you know, there are icons that I really feel like we probably won't see any more of them, you know, this kind of leadership in my lifetime. I hope I'm wrong, but I think this is the case. So when somebody says to me, President Sadat is just a traitor, for me, that's completely unacceptable. For me, that's, you know, it's, and, and this is one of the things, one of many reasons why well, I would just say, I, I mean, I, I don't take the Palestinian point of view here, but um, uh, Arafat would have viewed Sadat as a traitor because he made peace with Israel without taking care of and insisting that the Palestinians be be, be provided for with a, with a state. So he, from his point of view, Sadat sold the Palestinians out. Right. Well, from Sadat's point of view, and we have actually we have his speeches on this. Yeah. And we also have President Mubarak's uh, speeches on this, and they both tell you we tried to involve the Palestinians in a peace process that would involve them getting an independent state. They completely boycotted this and said, "No, yeah. we're not engaging. We're not involved." And they completely boycotted this. And it's just like if you are not, if you're going to continue to say no to peace on every single opportunity. Why should anyone, what makes you think that you are entitled to a state? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know the history well about Sadat and the Palestinians and what they were rejecting at that time, but I, but it's definitely true um, during Mubarak's time, which, what you're describing. I, I have one more question for you, and then if Dan has anything else for Periel. Um, I've heard two very smart people have opposite opinions on this. The question is, how um, Islamic beliefs, radical, how, how um, real are radical Islamic beliefs? And the question is, if Iran gets a nuclear bomb, and I think they're going to, um, is it right to think that these leaders really are looking forward to paradise and would be less cautious about using it because of the uh, the paradise in the afterlife? Or is some of that or all of it just for public consumption? And in reality, the leadership of Iran would be just as uh, calculating and cautious as any other leader would be with a nuclear bomb, which, which is the truth. And I'll just say, for instance, Sam Harris is a big believer in that radical Islam is a, a death cult, as he puts it. And uh, I've spoken to some other people who think that that's really not what it would be like with Iran having a bomb. What do you think? I think it's really difficult. We have, we have two scenarios here, which one of which is basically the Iranians being like Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein used to say, Listen, I'm going to blow you up. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely fearless. I'm blah, blah, blah. And he talked a lot. And he talked a lot about their own capabilities, you know, whether it was chemical weapons, biological weapons, um, or WMDs generally. He talked a lot about this. And he ended up in a position where he was just too much of a risk. Whether he actually owned the WMDs, and this is part of my studies as well, because my MA is in intelligence and national security. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the assessment, a lot of the intelligence assessments that were going on, on on Saddam, basically, whether he did pose a threat, was based on the stuff that he said. 
You said, we've got this, we can do this, blah, 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 blah. And eventually you had to eliminate this threat. Yeah. So Iran could be like this. They could be just, you know, like big talker, you know, big mouths, you know, just, just talking a lot about all this. Uh, and that could eventually lead to the same end result, having to go and basically bomb them. Uh, or they could really use that, that nuclear weapon. And, and I think, I find that just the fact that we're having this conversation is unacceptable. We should not be having this conversation. We should make sure that they never have a nuclear weapon. We should make sure that they never have any capability to do what they're doing right now. Unfortunately, we've allowed them. President Biden has allowed them when he took the Houthis off the terrorist list right after he took over. That meant that the Houthis could get more funding. That meant that the Houthis could get more funding from even people in the West because they're no longer terrorists. So, you know, there is no, there is no reason why you shouldn't fund them. Uh, and he did this against the advice of our allies in the region. And now you've got the Houthis completely disrupting uh, the Suez Canal, international maritime, and this is what we have. So I think it's a really difficult question. I think everyone is guessing. You will see some people who say, yes, you know, Iran might use it. Some people who say, no, they might not. I think we're judging their intentions here, and that's really... A dangerous game. I think we should just end this conversation by making sure, you know what, let's eliminate the threat and that's it. All right, Dan, you were... Oh, I, I had a, a question. Usually I think when you convert to Judaism, you get a Jewish name. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have one and why are you uh, are not using it publicly? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, so I was asked this question, actually. I was asked, why, why didn't I change my name, like, officially? And I think I didn't change my name because, number one, the name Khalid itself existed before Islam. So my dad, he chose, well, my dad and mom, they chose the name Khalid for me because they named me after this amazing, you know, presumably amazing uh, Muslim military uh, leader. He was, his name was Khalid ibn al-Walid, and he was, you know, very successful and fearless, and no one could ever defeat him. Uh, But... Ironically, this guy, Khalid ibn Walid, was one of the last people who converted to Islam. He was very stubborn. He kept rejecting Islam. People kept going to him. You know, the prophet, the Muslim prophet Muhammad kept sending people to him, you know, and all this uh, initially campaigned to have him convert to Islam, and he refused. He completely refused and continued to refuse. And I think he refused for about eight years and eventually decided, you know what, I'm going to convert to Islam. So in a way, it's actually reclaiming this name, that's how I see it. Khalid is an Arab name, yes, but it's not necessarily a Muslim name because it existed before Islam. Even Muhammad, Muhammad, when Muhammad was born, Islam did not exist. That's right. So I... even Muhammad, that name when, that he was given, even Muhammad, that name that he was given, it's not actually Muslim. When somebody says, oh no, it's a Muslim name, hold on a moment, he was given this name by his parents before he created Islam. Yeah, I think I'm gonna name my kid Jesus. <laughs> well, I think Jesus. Je- <laughs> Jesus is. Uh, I think Jesus is like a Greek version of Je- Joshua or something. I, I'm not exactly sure what. I know, but definitely the origin it, of that is. It existed before Christianity because they named. But I don't Jesus. know, no, because he, he didn't. He wasn't. Nobody called Jesus Jesus. That what the word Jesus. I think Yeshua. I believe in in those yes. days. I think so. So when did it become Jesus? I'm not sure. <laughs> but whatever whatever the name was. But my Hebrew name is answer your question. My Hebrew name is Moshe ben Zachariah. That's because my granddad was called Zachariah. 
Ah. That's the Arabic version of Zakaria. Yeah, and obviously I chose Moshe because I'm Egyptian. Uh, I'm not planning to cross the Red Sea anytime soon. Mm. <laughs> I'm not planning to even visit the Red Sea anytime soon. <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's my name. Um, all right, sir. Well, it's it's actually been a, a deep pleasure to meet you. Um, I'll be interested to know how people react to the conversation. I, I, I expect they'll all see it through their own particular partisan lenses and and react uh, accordingly. Ac- accordingly. But I think that you have uh, exude very, very peaceful uh, brother vibes of brotherly love, and I hope that everybody senses that. Yeah, well, I know people will disagree with that because of stuff you said, but I'm just talking about the vibe, not 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 the critical things you said. They, they that will. Well, so so have you ever thought of making Aliyah? Yes, I did actually. Yes, I did. I did a few times because. Um, can I give you? So can I, I live in prison? But before you say, I want to hear this. But I just want to give you a little advice. When you do make Aliyah, allow for a little extra time at the airport. So so go ahead. Tell us the story. Tell us the story. I think for me, it's it's. Uh, I'm very Middle Eastern in many ways. I like the sunshine. I like being, you know, chatting, you know, with my hands. You know, I like I like, you know, this kind of person. You know, it's not. Uh, Britain is is lovely, and I love Britain, and you know, this is my home. Uh, but I actually I, I keep thinking about making Aliyah for many reasons because again, I love the sunshine. I love I love Israelis generally. I work with Israelis day to day basis. By the way, I work for an Israeli company actually. I don't mention this a lot because I don't want any of the hate to be directed towards my colleagues or anyone because that's just not not acceptable. Uh, I, I'm afraid. I'm afraid if you, I'm afraid if you go live there that, um, despite the best intentions, that you might have a, a a negative experience in some way. I'd, I'd be nervous about it. I don't think so. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. I think that one thing that I mean, I'd be curious as to what you think about this. I have a very close friend who is um, Muslim and Egyptian and she hates Hamas more than any American Westerner that I know because she understands the threat better than anyone. I think one of the things we're so frustrated about here in amongst the people who I come into contact with is that People don't seem to understand that Hamas isn't just a threat to Jews. They hate everyone. Um, they want to eliminate everyone. Um, and that seems to be something that's quite lost on the, the Western public. I agree. And I think for me, it's... it's. Uh, I actually... Uh, I, I phoned... Uh, basically the Jewish agency and I asked about Ali and I was I was especially right after the 7th of October because I felt like what I saw across the UK was not okay for me what was happening was really disturbing I mean the fact that I could see people even on the 7th of October members of parliament saying there must be a ceasefire we must recognize a Palestinian state now before Israel responded at all before there was even a military campaign when Jews were still being murdered by this terrorist group they just went out to the streets, not, not, not in large numbers, but essentially the message was, you know what, Israel needs not to defend itself. This was their message. We need to make sure that they do not defend themselves. And that for me was a real challenge. So I did phone in and I, was just, I just asked about Aliyah. I know that there is a bit of bureaucracy in Israel. 
I know this for a fact, and that's 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 a challenge that a lot of people do recognize. Uh, but the main the main the main obstacle for me is that we have little kids now, and those little kids are very used, you know, to their granny, their granddad, you know, and they just live here, and this is their home. So it's a, that's that's the problem. And my wife wants to be near her family because she's English, so that's why she wants to be in England for now. Uh, but I really do hope that at some point in my life. I'm hoping that when the kids are a little older, they will go to Israel. I'll take them to Israel and they'll, they'll just love it. And they feel like, you know what, why don't we live here for a few years? That's, that's my secret plan, if you will. <laughs> I, I hope they're able to integrate nicely. I just imagine like being like half in each, you know, the, the Arabic people are resentful because you became Jewish and the Jewish people view you suspiciously. And, uh, but uh, maybe I'm, I'm unduly pessimistic. I guess in a particular neighborhood, when everybody gets to know you. Sorry, go ahead. Did you want to say something? Did I interrupt I'll, you? I'll tell you. Yeah. Sorry, I'll, I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you what I think on on suspicions or, you know, somebody who's not, you know, who wouldn't receive me very positively. I honestly do look sometimes at the chief rabbinite of Israel, and I think something is wrong there. You know, something really is terribly wrong there. And that, that's a challenge for me mm -hmm. because I feel like the whole conversation before the 7th of October around, you know, liberal Jews being, you know, not really given Aliyah or, you know, their conversions not accepted in, in Israel. There is a challenge there. But equally, I also recognize that there is a challenge within liberal Jewish movements in the diaspora. I have seen a lot of stuff. Uh, for instance, I'll mention one example. In, in, in the... British liberal Jewish movement, there were, there were a few years when, actually quite, a few, quite many years, when people did not celebrate at all Purim. It wasn't something they celebrated because they, they viewed this as immoral that we celebrated the triumph over, over our enemies and we massacred our enemies and this was immoral and they decided, you know what, the liberal Jewish movement in the UK will not celebrate Purim. And that was, for me, a challenge because it means that you get to pick and choose. And if any, everyone gets to pick and choose, what is actually left of Judaism? Right. It becomes a million versions. <laughs> that was a, really, a serious challenge for me. So there are challenges on both sides. And I, you know, I recognize it's going to be, you know, sometimes not a very pleasant experience in some aspects. But that's life. All right, sir. Um, uh, well, if you ever get to New York, we'd love to meet you in person. Any final questions? No. All right. Well, I hope uh, it's, it's very nice to meet you. I hope you had a, a pleasant interview. I hope you get some sleep now, um, and uh, and maybe we'll, we'll we'll have you on again uh, at some point in the future if you wouldn't mind. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to. I have actually friends in New York, uh, so I'm, I'm I'm planning to visit quite soon. But I hope I'll definitely come over. And thanks for having me. Oh, fantastic, Periel! Periel will give you give you my phone number so we can hook up when you get to New York. Oh, that'd be great. Okay, thank okay. you. Um, okay. Bye, thank you. Shalom, shalom. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.